0: Coming up on Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat.
1: I have found from experience that you can be a high-performance individual, or you can be a high-performance team, but you can be unsuccessful. And one of the reasons why is you don't know what your purpose is. You don't have clarity of purpose.
0: You've just heard from our guest today, Mark Prendergast. There's more from Mark coming up very soon. But just before we get there, we have to say a big thank you to an overarching sponsor of the show, Hawara. It's a whole person, performance, well-being, growth partner that aims to improve individual and organizational health and well-being by focusing on four key pillars, physical, mental, social, and occupational. If you want to find out more, go to www.haworalife.com. That's H-A-U-O-R-A life.com.
2: Welcome to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat with your hosts,
1: David Clancy and Kieran Dunn. This is a podcast about high performance. What we are striving to achieve is to figure out what makes high performing individuals tick, why they do what they do and why they are successful. Enjoy a journey of stories, lessons and learnings.
2: Today we spoke with Mark Prentergast, Director of Prentergast Leadership and former Irish soldier. Mark served in the Irish Army Defence Forces and as a commanding officer in his time with the Army. He founded Prentergast Leadership in 2017, which was born from 30 years developing high-performing military leaders. He designs and delivers leadership programs for clients in the financial services, security industry, IT and manufacturing services inside and outside Ireland. In this episode, we trace the origin story as to why Mark joined the Irish Army and interestingly, why he left. and the most challenging leadership questions of his illustrious career. We hear about missions in Kosovo and Syria and what Mark learned from these. We ask what business can learn from the military and what Mark has had to unlearn over the years. We discuss leadership development, coherence and strategy, horizontal alignment, and Mark's personal pillars of well-being. Human performance, specifically creating an environment where people can deliver high performance, barriers to that, team effectiveness, teamwork, and embracing challenges are unpacked, plus being able to clearly articulate one's values and clarity and unity of purpose.
0: Mark Prendergast, thanks a million for joining us today. How are you, sir?
1: I'm great. Thanks very much, Ciarán. Uh, delighted to be on the call, and thank you very much for the invitation.
2: Looking forward to digging into uh, your history, Mark, but for everyone listening, what have you been doing these days?
1: Yeah, I've my own business. Um, I've been in business now for the last four years. And it's in the area of obviously human performance, but specifically around the area of teamwork, team effectiveness. And taking a bit of knowledge I got in my past about creating an environment where people can deliver high performance, but making sure that some of the barriers that are there in a lot of organizations are broken down and let people do their best.
0: So I'll start off with maybe a tough one, but what's the best example of a team or a culture that is high performing that you've seen to date?
1: The one that I experienced most was the team I led in Syria in 2015. And, um, I'm from a military background and I was kind of 28 years into a job at that stage where I'd worked really hard at my own competency. But also, I'd accumulated a lot of experience in how to get the best out of all the other teams that I led. And we had a a dangerous six months, truthfully, and we were very successful. And uh, the efforts and watching that group of people perform, grow, and just nearly outgrow me by the end of that six months is the best example I have of it.
2: You're saying getting the best out of people. Yeah. And we've just spoken to, you know, a captain there for a rugby team last week. How can you really understand people and get the best out of them?
1: I have a simple kind of three-step approach to that. Uh, observe, connect, influence. And the first thing, you have to spend time with that observe piece. Find out what are people, what are they into? What are their, their values, their, their motivations, their, their goals? Their stated goals, their secret goals—all these kind of things that you have to figure out, and then find a way of connecting with them. And it's simple things like, uh, you know, people who want to talk to me talk to me about family and sport, and I'm I'm all in. There's there's no problem getting me to talk and connect, and you can build on that. And then when you've that done, then you're in some chance of having a positive influence. But there's also the, the the aspect that a lot of people mightn't be aware of is your own behaviours, uh, your own, particularly as a leader, uh, you're you're a role model, and in the 21st century, a lot of people who are really good at this, uh, their behaviours are very consistent with their word.
0: And I want to dive into secret goals. Yeah. So it seems like a great a great topic because it's certainly something that is not divulged to leaders on a regular basis, especially in employment, yeah. but also in sporting organizations. How do you go about finding out what's underneath them stated goals and what is really, really driving that person with the secret?
1: Well, the first thing is don't ask them a direct question. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, boss of mine, he was in New Zealand, or we were in a car in uh, Syria and we're driving to a location, and he said to me, you know, what's your ambition? And I said, stop there now for a second. I'm Irish. I don't even tell myself that. <laughs> you know, and, but it—it uh, it really, you have to, you have to watch. Um, what are they doing? Who are they? Who are their influences? Uh, levels of performance. Um, what kind of things are they applying to do? What are they looking at outside of work? Who are they talking to? And I don't mean to be snooping, but you just have to be aware of all of this, and um, put. Join the pieces and then maybe ask some open questions, uh, but not direct. Uh, And kind of you you form a relationship. And then, you know, as you talk about someone in work or in sport, you have a realization, okay, that's probably where they're heading. Uh, And how do you get them there? That's what that's the kind of stuff I do.
2: And tracing back to when you probably figured out a goal of yours was to get into the Irish Defence Forces, how did that start, and 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 how did you decide that was an avenue you wanted to go down for a point yeah. of time in your career?
1: I was listening to your interview with Rich a couple of weeks ago, and he talked. He used the term. Uh, uh, he said military brat, but in Ireland we call them <laughs> army brats. Uh, yeah, look, I look, I grew up in an army uh, house. My dad did forty years. Uh, he retired and uh, at the end of his career and he was happy from what I was aware as a child he was happy every day and it was no coincidence myself and my two brothers both joined the army and um, so that kind of I knew he was happy I didn't really know the specifics about what he did but I knew he enjoyed it and that kind of attracted me and then I kind of built on that so it was no surprise to my family or my friends uh, when I uh, joined the army. I went into the cadet school in 1986, so that was fairly open. But I suppose my ambition to join special forces was one that I kept a secret uh, for quite a while. Because if you saw me in 1986, you wouldn't have put me down for someone to try out for special forces. Uh, I was like, <laughs> I was one meter ninety one and sixty-three kilos when I joined the army. Like <laughs> I would have failed the BMI on the negative scale at that stage. I kept that to myself and I worked incredibly hard for five years as I did my job and learned my trade for want of a better description. So then I put myself forward for a selection in nineteen ninety three. So that was the kind of the secret one that was hidden below the the obvious one.
0: Were you aware of it when you were starting off? Were you always fully aware of it, or did it develop?
1: No, I I probably was aware of it, Kiran. but something that triggered it with me, and I only kind of look at this retrospectively now, was in uh, 1980, I I vividly remember watching live on television uh, The Iranian Siege. In London, you know, this big, spectacular breaching operation that the British SAS did to rescue hostages. And like for me, that was like watching the World Cup final. You know, it just triggered something in me that sat there. And that level of uh, competence and that high level of performance, uh, it connected with me. And that carried on. Then when I met a couple of my instructors when I was a cadet had come from the Army Ranger Wing. And that that unit had only been started in 1980. So here we were in 1986, meeting these people that had set it up. And yeah, my interest grew from there. So meeting people and respecting them and kind of seeing their path as something I'd like to follow was the trigger.
0: And when you say you've seen it, I'd be looking at Zero Dark Thirty, the film, recently. Yeah. So I've obviously, I think that's excellent. Yeah. But I think my desires to get into the army would be quite different or into the special forces, because I'm not sure the what it actually entails would match my personality. Did you notice a difference between what you perceived it to be versus when you got there and actually lived it?
1: Yeah, yeah. In some ways, it was exactly what I expected it. And in other ways, it wasn't. And the, the real difference was how people challenged each other. That's, for me, uh, one of the key pillars of high performance. And um, like I went in, I passed selection and uh, the Irish system, the, the unit is so small. As an officer, when you pass selection, you go back into the main body of the army and wait your turn for an appointment to come free within the unit. So you can then go on your qualification training and upskill yourself. So it took a few years before I arrived in and I was very experienced and I had a good few tours of duty overseas and all these things had happened And suddenly, I was surrounding myself with guys who were team leaders that I was responsible for, who were challenging me constantly to be better. And that was a surprise. Like, I would start talking about what are we going to do? And immediately, people would go, maybe that's not the best way. Have you considered this? Let's look at this. And suddenly, these very strong opinions, but very respectful and very conscious of my role, their role, but ultimately focused on the mission. And that was a surprise to me. And I loved it. And it's something I bring forward into uh, to the future. And that really helped me, for example, in setting up an environment for our deployment to Syria in 2015, working really hard with young leaders to say, look, challenge each other and challenge me, because that's how we're going to be better.
2: That's excellent. And when you're going through all the, all this uh, evolvement, and to that point in 2015, we've we've heard about performance and character and capability and standing up to challenge. Was there a point in time through this passage of time when you faced a moment when you really stood up to the challenge and and could really feel you were a leader, and other people were looking at you now as a leader?
1: Yeah, I suppose after I left the Army Ranger Wing, and that's what happens with officers who come through that system, you get at best uh, in your first tour, maybe four years, and then you go back and you go into other jobs. And it's a brilliant concept because you bring with you your experiences and knowledge, and you impact positively on other parts of the organization. And it was always designed to do that. You know, Jamie Heeslip's father, Richard Hieslop, set set up that unit in 1980. And he was very aware of how it will create a capability for, for the nation, but also build an organization and improve wider skills within the organization. So when I went back, I actually realized that people gave me a level of respect that surprised me because of my previous experience. So I found myself in Kosovo in 2004, putting together an operation we had to uh, arrest. Uh, he was a criminal, but he had strong political influences. And he was about to destabilize an election process that we were invested in securing and putting together a team, an international team t- to carry out that mission. I was, yeah, I was taken by the fact that people gave me a level of respect based on my recent experiences and that helped me.
0: And thinking about you putting together that team and maybe companies trying to put together a group or a culture and sport and managers trying to put together a team in front of them how important is it that you can understand the people in order to make them fit into the overall system or goal that you're trying to achieve
1: yeah i'm a big believer in the the character piece of when you're picking a team and that's the advantage the the military systems have and sport have it as well you're challenging people to perform if they achieve that benchmark standard, you know what you're working with. The difficulty in business is you don't get those training opportunities. You're straight into delivering outputs, you know, commercially focused outputs, trying to understand your people and trying to shape and select them and build teams. What I would encourage businesses to do is have a really strong feedback loop, analyzing performance, conducting Frequent after-action reviews, practical understanding of, okay, what do we do well? What do we need to work on? And watch how people respond. Watch how people interact with you. From that knowledge, you can build your team because you don't have the training opportunities that sport and the military have.
2: And into the business world, if we're forming selection teams, leadership steering groups, like diversity of thought and the ability to challenge, like you've said, was so important for your growth. That must be so important. I mean, we're the suppose diversity, equality, and all those sort of inclusion pieces are so important for teams to be very successful and high-performing these days. What's your experience in that space?
1: I've just finished uh, delivering a leadership program for the credit union movement. I, I've been working with them the last two years, and it's a mix of senior leaders who are on the operational, business side, and board members who are community-based. And I love working with that group because of the diversity that comes with the mix of a community based organization. They get it when I talk to them about the importance of having people in the room that disagree with you. Then, when I go to other clients, I have to work a bit harder to get that message across because um, a lot of analysis has gone into decision making and leadership. And um, companies like AMROP uh, will show you the data that comprehensively proves that most leaders select a team of people that will agree with them. That's what they want. They want people in the room that will just agree with them. And that's why a lot of decisions mightn't be as good as they could be. And so I work with leadership teams and I talk about uh, unconscious bias. I talk about confirmation bias and all the other things that flow from it in an effort to help them think critically and also be comfortable when people challenge them uh, a lot of leadership programs talk about oh we empower our people i'm transformational uh, i'm i'm inclusive when someone challenges them or challenges their ideas they can become very defensive and the minute they do that they're closing down discussion and people sense the environment and very quickly they say okay there's a distinct disconnect between the words and the actions here i'm just going to play this a little bit cool so i encourage leaders listen don't close down other people's ideas
0: that's a big point it's like the art of thoughtful disagreement i just like to build it out a bit if you yeah. have a team and let's say you have a junior member of staff maybe a senior or an executive member of staff but the junior level staff doesn't agree with something how do they most effectively communicate their point if it's in disagreement with? The other board members or dear people in the room, how do they do it without being shut down or feel even safe to do so?
1: With a lot of the clients that I'm uh, engaged with at the moment, I'm working at a couple of levels in the organization, which helps with that, Kieran. So I'm working with the senior leaders and I'm working with the new entrants. So actually the first job I ever got was with a graduate entry program back in 2017. So you're encouraging the people at that level to engage and challenge and to use what can be described as their beginner's mindset to keep asking why and keep asking challenging questions. And then at the same time, I'm dealing with people who are at the middle senior level and saying, you got to encourage this. you got to expect it. You've got to support it. And you have to be open to it. So I would say for an organization to do it effectively, they have to have a couple of things happening at the same time at the different levels to build that understanding. And then to ensure that the skills you give people at one level will be accepted at pe- by people at a higher level, you know, you can't just invest all your time into great ideas with one group of people, and then the minute they try them, they're they're not accepted by another higher level.
2: Was there ever a leadership question put to you, Mark, that you found difficult to answer, or you or you didn't even want to answer it?
1: Yeah, I suppose some of my colleagues, uh, the the more junior guys and girls that I worked with in the army, when they asked me why I was leaving, and that was a hard one to answer because, say, I'm leaving after 30 years and I'm leaving early. might sound surprising, but I could have done another 10. And I kind of, there, they followed my lead. They followed my example. And they're saying, well, why are you going? I, that was a hard question to answer because they were at a different time in their careers. They had different... Opportunities ahead of them is trying to absorb that question, encourage them, but still be truthful. That was a challenge, yeah.
2: Did your identity shift change you? I mean, you would have been known as Mark Prentergast and, and the Irish Defence Forces for yeah. so long, having been to Syria, having been to Kosovo and been part of that task force and all that. What happened when you then left and you were trying to move into the next transition of your personal and professional life? What was the identity piece like then?
1: I still can't help but tell people that I was a soldier, right? Because I like to do it. It's a big part of me. But I have learned to describe my value to organizations. And that, that was a challenge initially. Like, I didn't start out with a plan to start a business. Something lucky happened. A business came to me, started asking me questions. And I said, who's going to deliver on this? And they said, I don't know. And I said... I think I can do it. And it kind of took off from there. So they approached me at that stage when I was still in the army. So they knew what they were getting. But since then, when I've sat down with other clients or potential clients trying to describe my value, yeah, that's the big challenge. And anyone who's transitioning between jobs where they don't have a reputation, a kind of internal reputation preceding them. They have to come up with a way of describing it. And I focus on the the leadership development and the team effectiveness. My experience in the last four years, to help me explain it.
0: Obviously, there must have been an element of discomfort when you face into uncertain circumstances, even when you're in the army, in the defense forces, and then when you're starting your own business. Do you have any strategies to combat the barriers of stepping outside your comfort zone?
1: Stepping outside my comfort zone is something I, I always... Been seeking in some respects. I went into the a comfortable uh, path from school in that I followed in my father's footsteps into into his career area, but within that, then I went in completely different directions. I don't know was I doing it on purpose or was that just how the opportunities presented themselves. So I've always looked for that challenge and to the audience like anyone who's a high performer listening to this they're very familiar with the fact that there is no success like when you achieve one thing it only leads to the next challenge and uh, you learn to cope with that you learn to have the confidence in yourself uh, to embrace the next thing uh, that you might know at this moment in time what the answer is or what the path is but you have the confidence in yourself that you're going to figure it out.
2: We started the show a couple of years ago, and it was based on the premise of what can different worlds learn about the other worlds? And we've had artists, we've had ballerinas, we've had athletes, businessmen. You're now more in the business space. What have you taken from being a soldier into that world that's helped inform your practice, or what have you decided to even leave behind?
1: Well, the first thing I've left behind is you don't think that you're going to tell people what they should do. You learn to listen very closely to what is happening in their world. And then I have the ability to learn quickly and to adapt to the changing environment. And that has really helped me. And I encourage others to do that. But it's built on a foundation of being able to reflect and analyze, learn, and then keep moving forward. And then knowing that some things will work, some things won't, and then be able to adjust and adapt accordingly. Yeah, that's kind of what I've learned to bring forward, David, uh, is the capacity to learn and adapt quickly. And I think it's a it's a, an important skill for any of us to have in the 21st century. The background I came from, the catchphrase was expect the unexpected. Yeah, that's a kind of a a tool that has helped me, particularly in the last year and a half.
0: Yeah, definitely. And then you have had great influence on this conversation so far about the stated goals and secret goals that I have to ask you, hopefully okay. it's unexpected. What is your stated goals that you have so far? And maybe if we get to know you better down the line, I'll <laughs> learn the secret ones.
1: Well, the stated one is uh, to keep building my business as I deliver from my clients. So if I don't deliver, I won't keep growing. And that I find brilliant because I work with senior leaders. I support them. I advise them as they turn their strategy or vision into operational reality. I also work with uh, young uh, men and women joining organizations, trying to figure out what is their value, what can they do for the organization, and encourage them to do that. And they're kind of, like, I found myself back doing what I was doing 20 years ago as an instructor in the Officer of Cadet School. So yeah, that's my stated. Um, is leadership development, team effectiveness. Uh, what's the overall strategy? There isn't one. I I came from a background where planning was everything, and you you know strategic objectives. I've actually learned, and I'm a big fan of what uh, David Epstein wrote this recently in his book Range. He captured it for me. And I found it really helpful. He said, you know, a lot of people in business nowadays, they don't actually have a strategic plan. They're just taking a promising situation and and running with it and building on it. And that's kind of my strategic direction at the moment.
2: And is there a plan you've taken from the last year and a half, you know, unexpected turbulent time? We've all learned an awful lot about ourselves and how to leverage business opportunities and how to network and all these sort of things. What are you, what are you taking from this whole peer that might help you moving forward?
1: So, yeah, some of the people I work and support are very large organizations. And I'm also moving to support smaller to medium-sized organizations and helping them uh, scale up and moving my own uh, strategic Direction from supporting large organizations to supporting small and medium enterprises is my medium term goal so like tomorrow for example I've a company I work with in Wexford I'll be there all day tomorrow with them because they've been incredibly successful in the in the last year and a half and they're expanding and they're bringing new people on board that they want to ensure uh, plug in quickly to the success and how they communicate and connect with each other and work across functions uh, is really important to the to this organization. So myself and my team will be down there and we'll be working with them about understanding that they're just not there to do one job or to work in one part of the organization. They're part of a larger organization and they need to understand purpose and understand where they fit into it and how they can see opportunities, share them, And add to the wider organization, just not stay within their own lane. And that's my direction for the next, I'd say, two years, working with those companies.
0: Looking back through Prendergast Leadership Online and who you've worked with, it's definitely a cross-pollination of sports and business and high level and companies that are huge into giving back and some are focused on high performance like Bath Rugby. Do you notice, are there similar challenges emerging over the last year or even longer for these organizations, regardless whether they're in the sporting sector or in business sector?
1: Well, I suppose the, the, the common factor is every organization you've just listed, people are present in all of them. And the dynamic within their teams are really important to the, all those organizations. The one common um, emerging theme would be purpose. So you talk about some of the organizations that are are very values-based and very clear on that, and they attract and they recruit uh, with that in mind. Others are community-based, others are sport-based. But I have found from experience that you can be a high-performance individual, or you can be a high-performance team, but you you can be unsuccessful. And one of the reasons why is you don't know what your purpose is. You don't have clarity of purpose, or within the wider organization, there is not unity of purpose. And I'm kind of jumping ahead here because I know you will always ask the question at the end of the podcast, what is high performance? But to answer this question, Kira, for me, it's purpose. Leaders who understand it, communicate it, and you unite efforts around it is what I'm seeing at the moment.
2: We're not at that question yet, Mark. (laughs) I know, I know, I know.
1: Jumping ahead.
2: Um, when you're showing up every morning to the world and you're high performer, you're trying to give and really help and add value and help people understand purpose and what's driving driving them to, to be the best they can and be successful. What what's important in your day to make you tick?
1: Um, I suppose the first question is, how are my family? You know, you'll that's the first thing you'll check in with, um, when you when you awake. Where is everyone today? Who's woken up in the house? Who's somewhere else? Are they all okay? And what are we doing today? What do I need to do to to help with that? Then it business flows in within that as well. And I, I'm in business with my wife. She's also a co-founder with this uh, organization. She's also from a military background and. Between us, like it's very hard at times to distinguish family from work in terms of our direction, our priorities on a daily basis. And that, I mean, I'm describing that as a positive. Uh, it, it, there's complete synergy between the two. But for me, turning up as well, uh, there's a couple of pillars that have to be constantly maintained. And one for me is the physical. I need to do that, I need to invest time in reflection so that I can make myself aware and seize opportunities uh, for my business, then I'm very good at analyzing performance. So no matter what I do, and today, this podcast, I'll sit down and I'll analyze how I got on and I'll learn from it. And that's kind of how I make it tick for me so far.
0: With the analysis of your performance, I'm going to jump on that. When you're looking back and it's not particularly attractive to do so it might be painful to look back over how do you do it without putting it on the long finger or you know saying "Ah, oh, it's too hard to think about you know when we're doing our reflection it's not always easy what's your technique for it
1: this is where habit helps and having good habits and so that kind of el- that eliminates that procrastination um, and eliminates that kind of desire to, oh, maybe I won't look at this now. So having a rhythm, having good habits makes you f- sit down and, and do that reflection, that piece of, of so I, I'll do it straight away. It's just a habit at this stage.
0: And then how would you remove emotion and be objective with yourself? So sometimes you might want to see a positive lens on what you've done and it may yeah. not be the truthful, a yeah, truthful look- account of what happened.
1: Yeah. And look, and a lot of people are much better at explaining this than me. And I loved listening to Matthew McConaughey recently talk about, you know, excuses prevent learning. I suppose as people, right? When we look at our own performance, if if we're going to come up with excuses, we're always going to look at external factors. We're never going to look at ourselves. And then when we're looking at, and analyzing other people's performance, we completely focus on the individual and their behaviors, their actions, right? <laughs> And I suppose the first thing is you need to be aware of that, okay? And if you are aware of it, you need to catch yourself when you're doing it. And then you really need someone, a sounding board, an advisor, a mentor, a coach, whatever works for you. But I I surround myself with a team of people that have no problem telling me the truth. A lot of us have been working together for nearly 20 years. I make sure that when I'm picking a team uh, for a, working with a business, I pick the people who are best for the business and the people that are best for me and keep will keep me focused. Because as I say to them all the time, we can't have a bad day or we'll be out of business fairly soon.
2: We spoke to Lady Chanel McCoy there a couple of weeks ago, and, and she spoke about the importance of, of role models, having someone not necessarily looking up to, but someone you can maybe look at and, and take pieces of that to help inform what she was doing, and she used to, you know, talk about her husband and, and people like that. Has there been anyone in your in your life over the last ten years or longer that perhaps has helped you in terms of next paths or people you've looked at to for direction? As well, the wife,
1: I would say, okay, role models. It's a big and it's an important uh, aspect of leadership in the 21st century, but it's a it's a hugely challenging one because and none of us will be perfect all the time and our tolerance of people's mistakes needs to to recognize that so i could list a load of people and you could we could all list what they did really well and what they did really uh what mistakes they made but people who guide me i would always taken a lot of from watching a uh, dermot early senior who died in 2010 uh, way too early in his in his life um, was a leader within the military community that character, competence, phenomenal athlete, a highly competent leader, but an incredibly uh, intelligent person in the areas of emotion and the capacity to connect with people. A lot of my generation that would have interacted with him would have aspired to uh, to take on some of what he could do. But I think all of us would agree that none of us were capable of doing it. To the standards he could, um, since in business, yeah, I I I'm well connected with guys and women of similar backgrounds to myself who are operating in America and Australia, and I kind of bounce ideas off them, and we kind of share professional ideas and opinions on what's happening, and I kind of plug into that, and. Uh, Within Ireland, uh, at this stage, I I couldn't give you a role model straight off that's working for me at the moment. No,
0: <laughs> I really want to build off something that I've worked on with uh, the Gaelic Players Association, and they have a leadership course. And one topic we looked into was the dark side of leadership. So, in terms of our perception of good leaders, we often think of them being empath- empathetic and you know having good communication and trusting and someone you can go and speak to openly. But then there are some organizations, and recently there was a documentary um with Michael Jordan, and you could see he led very differently. He called players out, he berated people openly. He probably would have off put a lot of individuals, but yet he got results is there necessarily a one way fits all for the best leadership approach or can them dark side, them dark personality traits work sometimes?
1: Yeah, I suppose I, I'll I'll quote two theoretical frameworks to kick it off. Okay. Back in the sixties, they talked about situational leadership uh, and that we adapt our style to the situation. And that I, I agree with that, but I would also say that our values and our um, behaviors linked to our values never change. Uh, The other thing, in terms of a dark side of being abrupt, being direct, being mission-focused, there is a time for that, and in some cases it's when things are chaotic. uh, When there's not time for elaborate explanations, there's not time for getting complete. Uh, buy-in before you act. But in the main, they're extreme events. I would say, to answer your question, Ciarán, um we have to be consistent in our behaviours. We have to be clear in our values. And we have to, um, our actions have to marry up with our words in the 21st century, because the level of communication and knowledge that we have about people now it's very hard not to know what they're up to
2: mark we've talked on we've talked about habits we've talked about character talked about competency we've heard elements of your story and as to what's made you successful i think it's only fitting we we finish with the question you were nearly answering earlier having gone through all this and still evolving and moving forward what does high performance mean to you mark prentergast
1: I look at high performance now from the perspective of an environment for others. Um, I've moved past uh, how do I become a high performer as an individual. I've moved into the environment where it's about giving others the opportunity to perform. And the key element that I have uh, discovered is purpose. As I said earlier, I've seen a lot of really good people uh, and I've seen a lot of really good teams fail. And in the main, it's because there's no clarity of purpose and there's no certainty as to what we're trying to achieve. And then the other thing I've seen in um, in environments where, where it doesn't work is there's a lack of alignment. Uh, you have different departments competing with each other internally and not that concerned about the organizational purpose, they're focusing on their departmental targets. That leads me to unity of purpose, that leaders need to ensure that every department within their organization is on the same page, heading in the same direction. And one of the greatest ways to kill off anyone's strategy is to have your senior leaders competing with each other and you have a lack of horizontal alignment. That, to me, is the difference now. When you look at organizations, when you want to be a high-performance organization, you need clarity of purpose and unity of purpose.
2: Mark, I'd like to both thank you. Very grateful for your your time today. Learned an awful lot. I think we both need to go back and look at our purpose (laughs) statements now. Although we thought we were good there, uh, that's definitely what's resonated here for me. So, yeah, thanks a lot for your time. Appreciate it, and we'll be in touch.
1: David, thanks very much. Ciarán, thank you very much. Look, Uh, It was a surprise to get get the invitation and I'm delighted that uh, I had the opportunity to talk to you. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you.
0: Pleasure having you on. Thanks, Mark.
1: Thank you for listening to today's episode of Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat, a story of high performance. This was brought to you by Howora, a whole person wellbeing company founded and run from Dublin, Ireland. Find out more at howoralife.com, spelt H-A-U-O-R-A life.com. Please rate, review, and share the podcast. Some people want it to happen, some wish it would happen, others make it happen. The GOAT, Michael Jordan.